This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. to speak to you this morning on the most under-celebrated virtue of the New Testament. The most under-celebrated virtue of the New Testament. I hope that gets your attention, because if you come back next week at the same time, I'll tell you more about it. Okay, just being silly. I want to speak to you on patience. I want to speak to you on patience, that it really is a a virtue, that it's part of, as we grow in that fruit of the Spirit, uh, it has a governing power in our lives and will free us from so much uh, anxiety that comes from disappointment because it looks like our lives didn't work out like we planned or God didn't uh, come up with the goods in the timeline that we anticipated. So... uh, Paul, writing to the Galatians, he speaks about the works of the flesh, their evident sexual immorality. I'm not using a PowerPoint because this is, A, I didn't have time to do one. B, uh, I just want you to get the heart of this, and if you need to listen to the talk again, you're welcome to do that. Uh, but he says that these, these works of the flesh or our old nature evidence sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity. Is it enmity or enmity? Yeah. How come the in a, the, the Bible writes it differently? Enmity. Okay, that's the right one. Who's an English teacher here? Let's not fight about this. Okay, whatever. That one. Uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, drum solo, this is what I want us to get. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And notice the contrasts between this old person that I used to be and then my life collided with the irrational love of God. And we experienced this, this miracle of transforming grace where God says, I'm going to accept you just as you are all your stuff and all, all your brokenness, all the dark side of you. I have you just as you am, but I want you to know that in my love, I'm not going to leave you just as you am or I'm going to be working deeply in your life. 
And as I look through the New Testament and Old Testament, all that, those narratives of people who walk before the Lord, and when you see their f- the faults, what did they do wrong? You very easily can put it into, oh, that guy committed adultery, this person did that, this person stole, this person ran ahead of God. But mainly it comes un- under what I call a, a kind of um, stronghold of impatience, this notion of needing to make life work needing to take charge, flows from that old part of who we used to be, self-sovereignty. Like, like God, I know you're king, but I think I can, I can manage my life perfectly. And, uh, and so, in, in many ways, I want us to think freshly and, uh, about this whole call to bear the fruit of patience in our lives. Uh, the great modern-day secular prophet uh, Will Farrell said, <laughs> before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet. <laughs> then you'll see who they really are. <laughs> and of course, our ancient friend Aristotle said, patience is bitter. Like, who wants it? But it's fruit is sweet. And if we had time, I'd love to do a deeper dive on the story of Saul. We don't have the time, but Saul finds himself at Gilgal while the Philistines are about to attack, and there's just a whole bunch of them, way more than he's got in his army, and he's all nervous. What should he do? And he's waiting for Samuel to meet him. And Samuel had said, I'll come in a week, and he hadn't pitched. So... Saul was feeling insecure. Hello. When we're insecure, (laughs) we're liable to want to do stuff. And so what did he do? He crossed a line that he should never have crossed. He began to function like a priest. He didn't live within the limits of, God had given him kingship, but he moved from just being a king, and he thought, I'm going to start to offer the sacrifices to find out what God wants me to do. Should I go to war? Shouldn't I? And of course, It was a total disaster. It was the beginning of the demise of his kingship. Samuel arrives on the scenes in such a short, short time after, uh, you know, the perception of delay uh, was was really uh, sort of exaggerated by his insecurity. It wasn't like Samuel had kept him waiting days and weeks. It was a matter of hours in the way I read the text. And so what Saul does is he then starts to use religious ritual to sanitize his impatience. It's like, you know, uh, God says it's okay. Have you, you know, not, nobody in this church would have used that, but you know, out there somewhere there are people who, who kind of have a way, you know, I, I need a boyfriend, so I'm just going to go ahead of him, and, and we cross some lines, and the damage is terrible. Mm. And that can be also like in, in our business, uh, life in in, uh, in, in, in some, just, you know, all the challenges. COVID itself has created a sense of, oh, the world has slowed down, and, and in many ways it's been frustrating for people. But how's this for a verse? It's kind of a life verse for me. Proverbs 16.32 says this, Better a patient person, okay, imagine a patient person standing next to me here, than a warrior. Come be my patient person over here. 
Chris, I'm good at taking the mickey out of you. You're going to be my warrior. Okay. Better a patient person than a warrior. Patient person, how do you see a patient person? You don't, because it's happening on the inside. Than a warrior. That's it. Well, I think we can improve on that. Yeah. But uh, better a patient person than a warrior. One who is self-controlled in a life. Than, one, than he who takes cities out a life of conquest. The wise man says, better is the person. You see, the gospel moves forward on two frontiers. The, the outermost part of the world, we've got to conquer cities. And the innermost part of our heart. And we've got to conquer both. As a matter of fact, I know so many guys who just want to go and do church planning, uh, 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 you know, get into ministry quickly, wanna, want, what they want to just charge the future. Yep. And of course, a movement like ours is gung-ho about church planning, and somehow the pressure sometimes mounts. But to wait, a patient man can smile. You see, don't, be, don't look miserable, because if you're a patient person, shouldn't be miserable. <laughs> Uh, better a patient person than a warrior. Better is somebody who's, who's coming to terms with their inner life. Yes. Yes. Most of our problems, guys, are not the outer life. It's what God is doing and our defenses down on the inside. Give our warrior and, uh, and uh, patient guy a hand. So I'm embarrassed by having to tell you that my life has characterized the first part of my my life is I was incredibly impatient. Uh, and uh, I went to a, a youth meeting as a young 20-year-old or something, and this, this guy was in town, uh, or a leader of the movement I was a part of, and I was in this youth meeting, and I'm sitting listening to him, I'm thinking, oh, I just wish I could be like that guy. I'd love to do what he's doing. I got so excited. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit whispers to me, he's going to ask people to come forward for prayer. I want you to be the first one. Obviously, God's got massive plans for my life. That's going to be so exciting. I am just can't wait. And then he finishes and he prays his prayer. And he says, I'd love to pray for some of you guys who would love, uh, you know, to be before the Lord and to receive his, his help in, this, in whatever he preached on. I can't remember. I came forward, first guy there. He comes and he lays his hands on me. And you know those times where you hear something and it's like a, a freeze frame in your mind. It's like... It's a thing that's going to govern your life. And he says these words. Be patient. Don't rush God. There is seed time before the oaks. I'm sitting thinking, is, and? <laughs> what else? And I can remember it like yesterday. Uh, and I am called to remember it like yesterday when the Lord just keeps whispering it to me. Remember what I told you? And that's four, over four decades. I know you find that hard to believe that I'm 66, but just <laughs> I'm this young guy with this heart for God and heart for ministry and then I get this, what is essentially a wise restraining kind of a word over my life. Be patient and don't rush God. There's seed time before the oak. I learned that coming into the Common Ground Church story. 
Uh, and what I love about your venue, this is like the venue we started with in a, a place in a high school called the Nassau Centre, which was for speech and drama and uh, sort of that kind of stuff. We met in there and we started with about 40 or 50 people, you guys about twice, plus that size of what we started with. It was small. And uh, I actually limped into that uh, season of, of my life, which Sue and I had been through a, quite, you know, a very difficult time. And uh, it, took about, it took about 13 years to just lay the foundations into this church of, uh, of maturity and gospel-centeredness and to deal with unsanctified ambition. And, and then we began to feel the whispers or hear the whispers of the Lord around multiplying what we, the Lord spoke to us and said, plant this church, common ground, deeper into the culture and wider into the city. 13 years, it was just preparation. That's patient, line upon line, watering the foundations, doing the stuff. And then uh, around 13 years ago, 12 years ago, we started planting a church. We averaged one church plant per annum for about 10 years. It was a remarkable story. But uh, that's not the part I want you to remember. I'm, I'm wanting to tell you we needed those early days of foundation laying. And we needed to learn to go very slowly in God. And then we look back, we realize, wow, very often people <clears throat> overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and they underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. And uh, God is in no hurry, as one of my mentors said years back. And, and neither is the devil. And if we rush things, very often we put a bullseye on our back. Uh, in the, in the cathedrals across the UK and in Europe, one of the things they did, as they started the masonry work, they planted the oak trees. And by the time the masonry was, work was finished, very often, over 100 years of building, they cut down the oaks to build the pews. And uh, I, I'm warned by that. I'm thinking we should not be in too much of a hurry. So let's get into it a little bit more because, uh, uh, you know, if we're going to ask a few questions just now, but maybe just to say this, I believe that impatience is a form of unbelief. It's a form of saying uh, or doubting the wisdom of God's timing or the goodness of His guidance. It's like, I, 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 you know, I, I just got to make things happen in my life, whether it's standing in the queue at Tesco's, see, I'm contextualizing. Tesco's, you have a Tesco? Uh, or there's a combat or strain in a relationship or a major set of circumstances that knocked out half your dreams. What can happen is it can force us into this unbelief. We've got to take charge of our lives. And impatience tests us in two ways. Number one, if there's frustration and difficulty... The first one is I opt out. I am no longer going to stay in this marriage. I'm not going to stay in this church. I'm not going to stay in business. I'm not going to do it. We opt out because we quit sometimes just before God is about to break through or give me wisdom for the season that I'm in. The second thing impatience does, impatience does is, is it tempts us to make a rash counter moves against obstacles that are in our way. Now in South Africa... We have a phenomenon. It's nowhere else in the world is like this. The South African taxi industry. 
Now, the South African taxi industry, I was uh, preaching at Rory Dyer's church in Pretoria, and we, I was trying to get to the airport, and uh, I watched the traffic was snail's pace. But there was a point of the journey where I just looked to the left, and there was just this fast line of taxi minibuses just going like at 60 kilometers an hour while we're going at, you know, two miles a weekend. And they just, they're just going at a pace. And I looked at that and I said, what's wrong with us? Why don't we just do that? They'd learned the wonder of shortcuts. They were actually driving off the road in the most dangerous part. And I believe that's what's responsible for many taxi accidents. They've come, uh, there's a shortcut. So see there's an illustration of we pay the price of running ahead of God or trying to accelerate outcomes in, in our own lives. Remember, we inherit the promises through faith and patience. Do not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise, promises. Notice faith is not an option to the Christian life, and neither is patience. They are symbiotic. So faith is never intended to be a formula that delivers an outcome. Faith is married to patience, and patience is married to faith. So three questions, and then we're out of here. Number one, what is patience? I'm so glad you've asked this question. I've heard uh, one definition of patience is waiting without complaint. doesn't float my boat, that one. No? Others have said patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Nah. I mean, there's a, like an echo of truth in that, huh? Okay. Uh, but I have found one that has like been so helpful to me uh, and to us in terms of just you know our marriage, our parenting, grandparenting, and in, in just serving and caring for churches. In Common Ground, we've got, uh, we're in a little bit of a transition phase, but at one time we had 11 congregations, but the newest, the 11th one was planted two months and then COVID came and we had lockdown. And then, uh, so in our family of churches, we've got small churches, 50, 60, uh, all the way through to 1,500. And in this, you can know what it does to you as a leader. It stretches you because they're like kids. Do you love the big one because it's a cash cow more than you love the little one that's bleeding all your resources? Well, you have to. And that's what maturity does is you start to see, actually, we're in this together and we need to be comfortable with large churches and small churches and all kinds of outcomes. But, and so I've, this little principle I'm going to share, here's the definition. Patience is harmonizing my life with God's rhythms, sovereignty, and His perfect will. Can I do it again? Yes. Okay, say it with me. Patience is harmonizing my life with God's rhythms, sovereignty, and perfect will. How it's a little slow? Slow writing. Still writing. Okay. So what is impatience then in the light of that definition? Impatience 
is actually unbelief, which leads me to taking charge, going beyond limits, asserting self with my own rhythms, sovereignty of self, my own rhythms, and my own defined will. And uh, I just want us to enjoy, bask in the beauty of that definition, patience, is harmony. It's, it's a call to safety. It's a call to beauty. It's a call to be aligned to God's character and who He is. There's nothing more beautiful than to have a life that is in harmony with God's rhythms, knowing when to rest, not, knowing when to not drive too hard, knowing when to be more drawn than driven, knowing that I can affirm God's sovereignty. He's been around a little bit longer than me. He's been not just creating the universe or has created, he sustained it. And he is loving toward all that he has made. I don't need to throw tantrums of insecurity. I can align to God's sovereignty and say, oh God, I'm so glad that you're God and I'm not. Isn't it interesting? John the Baptist gets asked, are you the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm not. I'm the one crying in the, in the wilderness. Folk, we need to know that what we're not and occupy who we are with grace and joy and peace. Okay, number two. You see, we're going through this quite quickly. Uh, we know what patience is. It's this wonderful harmonizing of our lives. Why do we need it? I'm so glad you've asked this question as well. Uh, firstly, listen carefully, because God himself is patient and sovereign and nowhere near as much as a rush. I know we are in an instant age. Uh, there's so much pressure on us to get the results that we long to, long for. Like, I want my PCR test like an hour ago. And I think I'm going to miss my flight tonight to get to Amsterdam. I don't know what, how that's going to work out, but I have to say, Lord, I did my absolute best. I didn't try and forget those kind of things. And I don't know if God's got somebody waiting me, for me on a different airplane that I need to share the gospel. But I'm going to harmonize my life with those disappointments. And I'm not throwing tantrums. And it means I can maybe have a little bit of a more lingering lunch with you over that bottle of Chardonnay. Okay. <laughs> God himself is patient. Just look at your life story. He's been so patient yes, yeah. with me. He's been so patient with you. He's been patient in, in trying to get your attention. He's been patient in trying to get you aligned to his leadership or his wisdom. I mean, he's been so patient that he's delayed the climax of history. With all the evil in the world, with all the brokenness in the world, 1 Peter 2 Peter tells us that God is patient regarding his second coming, regarding the climax of history, because he doesn't want any to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. God's patience is because he's extending the red carpet of his grace to people who've not yet come home. The second reason why we need it is God has created us as organisms, not machines. Think about this. There's millions of reasons why God sent His Son, according to Galatians 4 and verse 4, it says He sent Him in the fullness of time. Yeah. Which is, in the Greek, it's like, at just the right moment, Jesus came. Now think about it. 
Why didn't he send him sooner? At just the right moment, Jesus breaks into history. And in the moment that Jesus comes into history, what kind of world is it? It's agrarian. It's agriculture. And Jesus uses metaphors from that first century world. Look at the metaphors. You know, starting with the, with the parables. He talks about the sower, the wheat, the mustard seed. All of these things are biotic metaphors. They're, they involve seasons. <laughs> Come on. And then, if that's not enough, uh, Jesus' apostles refer to the forward movement of the gospel uh, around those same kind of agricultural principles of spiritual fruit and fields and sowing and watering. All of these require time and seasons. But we don't live in that kind of world anymore. Social media and the timelines that we're under, are they drive us, they demand from us, and they feed our demand of life itself in a way that is out of sync with God's rhythms. The God who causes the sun to rise in the east and set in the west. And when it comes to even the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about, this fruit of patience, even that fruit is something that needs to grow in our lives. Here's some good news. When we come to Christ, the change we have is remarkable. It's, it's instant. Because of the way the gospel teaches that the, it's we change, but then we're not. We change, but we're not changed enough. We change powerfully, but the rest of our life, God says to Rigby Wallace, Rigby, your name is Rigby? Or puts it this way, Rigby, my name is Jehovah, I change not. Your name is Rigby, you will change. Initially, powerfully, a work of grace, but gradually, in an ongoing way, from one degree of glory to the next, we are continually being changed. I'm realizing, after having uh, followed Jesus for 40-something years, I am so up for saying, Lord, I want to be transformed more into your likeness. And I find one of the things in the 21st century that messes with that is my demand feed, my need to satiate all my desires quickly, instantly, get the stuff, get into debt, because I want to buy what I can't afford, because I've bought the lie. From culture. Yes, yes. But here's the good news it's not just initial, it's not just gradual, it's inevitable. There's a day coming where we will be transformed into his likeness, we will see him as he really is, and for we will be like him. Many years ago, uh, Campbell Morgan, a, a famous British preacher, I think. Uh, I looked at you for some help just briefly. I could pretend, yes, yes. Sure oh, that guy, Campbell Morgan. <laughs> he tells the story of walking in a, in, a, in, a, in a graveyard in Italy. And he sees a large oak tree growing through a marble gravestone. And the, and the marble was split in two. Now, just, just think about it. Big block of marble on this side and a little acorn on this side. Where's your money? Where's your money? Somebody at the funeral dropped an acorn 
or a tree might have dropped an acorn into that grave. And just over decades, this acorn burst into life and grew through the limitations of that, uh, that marble and uh, be ultimately became a tree. Folk, that's what the gospel does. When it gets into us, it grows through all the hardness in our heart, all the messiness, all, the, all, those, all those, uh, those shadow parts of ourself, and the gospel is growing through there, and it's serving notice and saying, I'm going to have your way, and one day you are going to be an oak of the Lord's righteousness. It's guaranteed. But it's not always easy because if you want to be harmonizing with God's uh, will and His sovereignty and His rhythms, it takes, uh, it takes uh, a measure of aligning, and we'll talk to that in a moment. Why else do I need to change? Very quickly, because God needs to mature me for the tasks He has planned for me. There's a big difference between God's movement, what he's doing in me, and God's moment, what he's getting me ready for. Whether it's being a husband, a mom, don't rush those processes. Patience is harmonizing your life with God's rhythms, God's sovereignty, and God's perfect will. Why else do I I need patience? It's because some of the deepest longings of my heart are not going to be fulfilled in this life. Some of the deepest longing that we have as humans, followers of Jesus, are only guaranteed by His return at the climax of history and the beauties and the wonders of the new Jerusalem. The other reason why I want patience in my life and I want it in your life and God wants it in all of our lives is because it's beautifully winsome. Patient people are nice to be around. They're not manipulating outcomes. They're not, they don't have a plan and hide behind gifts to do that. No, they just wouldn't. Better a patient man. Isn't that lovely? Than the mover and shaker. Sorry, please be a mover and shaker. I want the kingdom to be moving forward in power, but I want it to come off this foundational reality. So last point, how do we grow in patience? You're supposed to say, he's going to say, Thanks for asking that question. How do we grow in patience? Number one, by yielding. By getting out, stop trying to be God. By yielding to the wisest person in the universe. I'll ask you the question, who's the wisest person you know? And you've got to take more than three seconds to answer that. You got it wrong. The wisest person in the universe is the fountain of all wisdom. And he says, you will flourish if you see me as the wisest one. In him, in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are held gloriously in tension. And so, what what I call yielding, uh, if you want another metaphor, is just raise a white flag. Say, God, I am so sorry for running ahead of you. God, I want to invite your wise rulership. I want to come under the safety of your benevolent kingship. 
I want to agree that I am not king of my own life. You are the only one who's worth and worthy of ruling my life. How else do I get patience? By reframing our disappointments. By reframing our trials and challenges. Drum solo, as opportunities to grow. I want to tell you, the last 18 months have been the most difficult 18 months of my life as a leader. I can't tell you how difficult it has been. I can't tell you that soon I, we've, we've been in each other's arms weeping. It has been so bruising. But in harmonizing your life with God, what happens is you experience stretch. How many of you felt stretch in COVID? Stretch, stretch in some of just the implications of just the world just became different overnight. We thought our future had been deferred. We, th- we thought the future had been postponed. But we're talking about a God who has been ruling over history for, for forever. <laughs> and then I realized I have been stretched like no other time in my life, but I've been stretched into the grace and helpfulness of God. I've been stretched as a, as, a, as, a, as a trial that's out to break me and crush me and overwhelm me. I've been stretched to harmonize with God's work in the world, God's work in His church, God's care for leaders, God's love for His people. I have been stretched. And I can tell you at the beginning of COVID, if I were to write a book, it would, it would be very tame. I think I've got a book in me. That's not like everybody should look for whatever Rigby's going to write in the future. I'm just saying I feel like I got to know God in ways that I would never have got. And I got to know my own limits. I got to be humbled by Him in ways that have been absolutely wonderful. Third way, how do I grow in patience? You've got to ask of God for it. Say, Lord, please help me. Forgive me for, for my inner drives and my lack of drawnness. How else do I get it? By waiting. You want a verse that's life-giving? Isaiah 64 and verse 4 says, No eye has seen God besides thee, who works for those who wait for him. Notice. We work, God waits. We wait patiently, God works. It's a no-brainer. Do the maths. Slow it down. This isn't slow down, it's not a call to apathy or back-footedness. I am on the front foot as I sit with you. But I know after four decades of ministry, seeing God's work in the world, He is not in as big a hurry. He's wanting to transform us. He wants change in the world through people who are, whose lives are harmonized with His. How else do I get patience? By looking to Jesus. Think about it. He was born as this beautiful bundle of baby in Bethlehem. And Luke 2, 52, I think, it says, and he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. And he starts his public ministry at age 30. What question does the New Testament not answer? Why did God wait for Jesus to get to 30 to start his public ministry? I want to tell you, it's, uh, it's kind of my guess, is he wasn't ready 
And God's fullness of time for him to come into the world is not the same as God's fullness of time for when he went public down by the River Jordan. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes the sins of the world. But there were three decades in there. And his whole life's ministry can be wrapped up in another three years. God can do powerful things in the evening of our lives for those of us who tempted to dial out, for those of us living in the, in, in the lament of, oh God, I blew it back there and will there be a future for me? Those of us that are carrying latent disappointment, you need to know. God is the God. I end, soon I entered into leading common ground. I was the most painful time of our lives at that point. <laughs> at that point. And next February, it's 25 years, that we would have led in one assignment, one church, multiplying many churches, serving through a movement that's planting churches in all parts of the world. I look and I think, my dear, I'm like a kid at the moment. And then I'm reminded of that little restraint on my life as a 20-year-old. Be patient. Don't rush God. There's seed time before the oak. Last thing. A verse and a little story. I'm sorry if I've taken a bit of extra, extra time, but I'm competing with armistice. And guys, these guys have got Lord. These guys have got it. So a few years back. This is the story, and then one verse, and we're going to pray. A few years back, uh, I have been tending this lemon tree in my garden. Bought a home in 2010. The only part of the garden that still lives on is a lemon tree that we took out of a courtyard of the pack, and I put it into a pot. But there's no sort of irrigation, and if we didn't water it regularly, it would have a bad year, and then a good year, and a bad year, and a good and, and, and then I took it upon myself as I'm going to look after this lemon tree like it's the only tree left on planet Earth before global warming destroys everything. I'm going to look after this lemon tree. So I water it, water it I start putting sea grow, which is that lovely seaweed fertilizer. I'm doing it. I get an irrigation drip onto it. And a most amazing thing happens as it sort of comes to life. In one season, we get three lemons. It's absolutely amazing. I'm so encouraged because this thing was like as good as dead. A few years passed by and we kind of get three, then four. And this is maybe three years ago. On this lemon tree, I came out uh, one morning. And the previous night, I'd seen we had like, or a few days that week, we had about 10 or 12 lemons that were like this. And I just thought, Patience. I have nurtured, I have cared for this thing. And then I came out there the next day, and this is a true story. I, got to, I went to the tree. The next day, the lemons have grown that big on the tree. I know some of you are thinking, oh, this is weird, it can never happen. They've grown to almost full-size lemons on the tree. And I called Sue, and then I noticed out of the corner of my eye, she was filming me. And she said, April Fool, she had gone to the local Tesco's, got lemon trees, and she put them on the thorns on these branches and deceived me into thinking. And then I just realized this will preach. 
Because this is what we do with our lives. We want to get the stuff we long for and we want to put it on our life prematurely. It's not the product of our maturity and our growth. We try and get shortcuts to outcomes. When if we just get nurtured, if we just get our roots down, if we just water, if we fertilize through going to conferences and stepping out of our our little self-imposed little small ghetto world, and we get out and we say, God, I want to grow. I want to be all that you can. It is amazing what God can do. And it's a very funny story because uh, uh, it's the best April Fool joke I've ever experienced in my life. I'm probably going to get more of those. And then this verse, and then we'll call it quits, is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your heart into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Interesting. God wants to direct our hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. We can't put fruit on a tree. You've got to bear the fruit. And we'll bear the fruit when our lives are harmonized with God's rhythms, God's sovereignty, and God's perfect will. Will you stand with me? Let's just be before the Lord. I just hope that this has been encouraging for you. I'm trying to spare you my pain. Uh, but I would no doubt have touched on some, some of your pain as you've looked and some of the regrets we have and wish we'd done it differently. Here's the good news. Uh, the good news of the gospel is that change is instantaneous. It's also gradual and it's inevitable. I can live with gradual if I know inevitable is guaranteed. If I know God has the last word and all of that, I'm just going to surrender to Him. He, he is so wise, I can entrust my one and only life to Him. Yeah. Does that help? Yes. Father, we come before You. I want to pray for those that have been following You for years, those who are new in the journey, and those even today who are exploring. Pray that our understanding of the gospel would grow, that we'd see the beauty of initial encounter, and then just the wonder of ongoing. Fingerprints of God on our lives. The formation that comes from yielding. The peace that comes from reframing. The joy that comes from asking. Won't you stir our hearts to to come under your loving leadership in a fresh way, no matter where we are in our journey. Lord, I'm asking you to be at work in us in a deep and a profound way. Thank you for Howard and Naomi. Thank you for the eldership team. Thank you for all the leaders, all these amazing servants of Jesus in the room. Thank you for our guests. We just want to say, Lord, we want to make this whole thing more about you and your work in our lives. To that end, we invite your transforming power, transforming grace for our good and your glory. Amen. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.